0: Welcome to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. My name is Erin Mullino-Bailey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute and my co-host, Dr. Kevin Caridad, who is the CEO and owner at Cognitive Behavior Institute. On this week's episode, we are discussing the Mental Health Extender Law with New York State Senator, Samra Brooke. Uh, Senator Brooke is no stranger to serving her community, as she was elected to represent the good people of New York's 55th Senate District in November of 2020. She is the chair of the Senate Committee of Mental Health and has made improving access to life-saving resources a legislative priority. To that end, she proactively finds opportunities to address the intersection of mental health with topics like education, substance abuse, criminal justice, and healthcare. In addition to her work in the New York State Senate, Samra is a proud alumna of the United States Peace Corps, having spent two years as a health educator in rural Guatemala. Following her return to the United States, ROOP's work in the nonprofit sector focused on organizations that protect the environment help aging seniors in place, and address education inequalities. Brooke lives in Rochester's Park Avenue neighborhood with her husband, Brian, and new puppy. So thank you so much, Senator Brooke, for being here with us on the Barrier Breakdown. We really appreciate you taking the time today. Could you um, start off by telling our listeners a little bit about how you first got interested in public office and then how you also became interested in mental health?
1: Absolutely. And it's so great to be here with both of you. Obviously, as you pointed out, Erin, this is one of my favorite topics uh, to discuss. And I think that one of the best parts of my job as chair of mental health and just being a public official in general is I get to find and kind of help create those connections for people around how mental health really does intersect with so much of, um, of what we see in society and so many of the other things that a lot of times we're fighting for or, or towards. So for me, um, the path to, to public service perhaps wasn't the, uh, the one that we've been traditionally used to hearing in terms of a family with a legacy and, you know, the internships in D.C. of of getting into um, public office. Instead, for me, it was really kind of this um, extension and kind of a a logical next step when I looked at a lot of the work that I had done leading up to this point, which you so uh, beautifully just uh, summarized for everyone. You know, for me, it's always been really important to do work that I think is meaningful, uh, whether it's for my own community where where I'm from or for other communities, you know, which, which brought me to working in rural Guatemala where of course I had never been. Um, I, I didn't know the language by heart before I got there, but I saw an opportunity to serve. And when I came back to the States, I saw more opportunities, whether it was through nonprofits or whether it was through helping to start companies, solving some of these major societal issues like, Our aging population and not having the services they need, uh, like fighting climate change and making sure our cities and our counties are set up uh, to to protect our human populations against climate change, um, or education inequities and so many other things. And so, you know, for me, I looked at the work I had done, I was so proud of the work I had done, but I knew that there were, there was a way for me to make a greater impact. And oftentimes, that means really being the one when pen, you know, pen hits paper, and you're writing these laws, uh, you can have an incredible impact on how our laws and our policies take shape, and we can make sure that the right people are being heard at that at that table, that decision-making table. And to me, it means really opening up that process, becoming more transparent and accountable, and making sure that more, you know, working folks throughout New York in my case, um, are having that voice. And I will say that um, we all know Stacey Abrams now, uh, she's a national figure, but I uh, did work with her on her gubernatorial campaign in 2018. And I think that that was kind of one of those last pieces uh, that you see when you kind of see your story in someone else's story and um, the power with which she shared that story and really gained, you know, more votes than any Democrat had gotten um, in the history of Georgia, and it's more about it's it's more it's more than votes in you know parties. That's changing people's hearts and minds. It's connecting with them on values, and and that's really what I like to do in my district. is connecting with people on our shared values.
0: That certainly is a movement, there's no doubt. And it sounds like your constituents are very lucky to have you as a leader. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about the Mental Health Extender Bill that you sponsored, which was signed into law in June of this year? Can you tell us what this law does?
1: Absolutely. It's, you know, this is an interesting bill because if you're not in the mental health field, you didn't even know this was a thing, right? You didn't know that there was a major concern that we had created this kind of cliff in terms of um, services that we were providing here in New York State. And so, you know, to break it down very simply, Up until June 2021, there had been this exemption that broadly created um, a new kind of um, sector of these mental health professionals, allowing more providers to diagnose um, in their practices or in the nonprofits they work for. The reason that's so important, and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, but one of the reasons that's so important is because if you cannot diagnose, a person cannot get their course of treatment. So I always think about, you know, we've got an organization here locally called Hillside uh, Children's Center, um, and they work with young people who have very, very deep needs, especially in terms of mental and behavioral health. So a lot of these providers were allowed to diagnose and treat these young people who, again, really, truly needed this help through this exemption that we had in New York State for so long. And it was going to sunset. Um, this June, if we did not act, it was going to sunset. So that meant a couple of things. That meant, first of all, this is a high turnover, high burnout field. Um, the work that folks are doing is so grueling when you are sometimes dealing with clients and patients on their worst days. Um, And therefore it is high turnover. And so that meant that as soon as any of those providers left that field, anyone new coming in was not going to be able to diagnose and treat these young kids the way they needed it, especially in a moment in COVID-19 as we're still battling it and we know mental health needs are rising. And the second big piece that would mean is you know, we have a lot of local uh, universities. There are many students who are anxiously studying to become You know, these mental health practitioners, we are at a deficit of practitioners, we need more. And now they were going in the middle of their schooling, going to be told, we are drastically changing what you were able to do with the schooling that that you signed up for and that you so diligently worked towards. And now you will have a bunch of graduates now um, who were not going to be able to practice in the way that they had anticipated. So that was one of the reasons why we really wanted to make sure that we at least got this extender so that we didn't, again, create that cliff in June, 2021, um, just a couple months ago, where we would have this massive gap that we wouldn't be able to fill.
2: So I see you've done a lot of other work and related to mental health. What are some of the other bills that you've been, uh, been addressing?
1: Yeah, well, I think an- another really, really uh, major bill for this year, which I am just, could not be more proud of having gotten. And this is one that um, We introduced and were able to get passed through both houses and actually got signed into law this summer, which is, uh, which is fantastic. And that is the 988 uh, mental health crisis hotline. So this again, you know, I have three priorities as chair of mental health. One is making sure, and I just talked about this a bit, making sure children have the mental health supports they need. I think that they are going to need even more support as they go back to school under these circumstances. The second is really diversifying the field and making sure we have culturally competent care, linguistically competent care, um, because that is so sorely needed in this field. And the third is dealing with mental health crisis which is often compounded by a substance use crisis right um, and we have to be able to meet people where they are with the resources they need so the 988 988- uh, bill that we put into place here basically is creating something as easy to remember as 911, but for a mental health or substance use crisis. If it's for yourself, if it's for a loved one who is in that red hot moment of crisis and needs to be de escalated, this is a, a line that you can call where trained mental health professionals, you can call or text, um, and trained mental health professionals will pick up to make sure that you get the help you need. And I want to point out one thing that's really remarkable about this is when we think about crisis for mental health, it is different than a fire or ambulance or you know, police crisis. Um, these crises can often be resolved right over the phone or via text. There are people who are in crisis every day and by being able to access something like this, you know the vast majority of them will be resolved in that moment and we have to remember every time we're able to de-escalate and solve a smaller crisis we're avoiding those larger crises that so many of us have seen on headlines where people sometimes lose their lives when the wrong people show up to care for them
2: i think we've been seeing something very similar with the use of technology particularly during a pandemic and the adoption of uh one of the things that's been exciting to see, at least psychology's kind of been leading the pack there, is this kind of the side pack where sharing of licensure over state borders for those that are, are, are uh, in the groups uh, decided. But it's lacking right now for many of the master's level clinicians who do the bulk of the, the therapy, whether it be counselors or, or clinical social workers. Do you know if New York uh, is, is doing anything in reference to kind of these? Uh, these broader packs of being able to bring clinicians, even though know, they may not be sitting in New York, but provide care because there's such a deficit.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We we saw that right with the massive use of telemedicine and teletherapy uh, during the COVID uh, during COVID times, and and to be honest with you, we we might be moving back there again, at least in some sort of temporary. Uh, way to allow people to get that service that they need, because you've got to get service into people's homes if that's what they need, especially when they can't get to an office. This is something that we are definitely talking about with a lot of the advocates and a lot of the folks um, here in New York State. I think one thing is really, really clear. We have a massive, as you said, we have a massive, massive deficit. I mean, this is, and I have said it a few times, you'll hear me keep saying it. I do believe we are, we are entering crisis mode. We're entering crisis mode in getting people the mental health um, services that they need. And we are going to need to start being a little bit more creative in how we're uh, approaching that and actually filling the need.
0: Kevin, 100% stole my question because I was so excited to ask you about this IPAC to see um, if you thought that, you know, in the future, New York may be part of those states those to come together to collaborate. He mentioned, obviously, the master's level. Um, I know with psychiatry, especially, um, you know, it is so hard to find a provider. And I'm sure, um, as you're aware, there's just a shortage of doctors who are going into psychiatry. And there's just a shortage of people who want to pursue career. Careers in mental health. So that's one thing that we were, you know, we feel like the pandemic kind of kicked it into high gear. Ten years, you know, a little too soon. We see that Medicare now is going to be allowing for some permanent virtual services. Which, oh my gosh, that probably I could have seen take, you know, take a decade to get that passed. It's a
2: game changer. Um, but
0: but now that they see that, you know, more people can be reached the phone and through. Um, through, you know, technology uh, and face to face, like we're doing now on Zoom, that it really opens up a a lot of possibilities, especially people in rural parts of the states. Uh, We have a lot of that here in Pennsylvania, where there's just not good access to care. And it really can be life changing for a lot of people.
1: I mean, you're absolutely right, and you know, for what it's worth, we've got, you know, I I span two counties in my district, one of which is very rural, it's the place where my mother's family is from, and my grandparents in their 80s are still in the home that she, my my mother grew up in, and it's the same thing that I saw here, the ability for my grandparents in their 80s, right, I mean, whether it's driving on slick roads in the winter, you know, with our lake effect snow up here in western New York, um, or just not feeling safe during COVID wanting to go out, you know, 40 minutes to get to a hospital or provider, being able to get that care and get it reimbursed and actually, you know, um, get what you need from your home. I mean, absolutely, it's life-changing and it allows folks to have a better continuum of care. So that again, all of this means less moments, fewer moments of crisis, right? Fewer moments of acute disease, whether mental or physical, um, because we're getting care to people on their terms.
2: You know, the other piece, the other piece I see this is a national security issue uh, with all the geopolitics of the United States, uh, the kind of uh, social awareness of what has always occurred. has uh, really seems to be polarizing things. And there's a lot of distress by many people. And I think mental health, I see, is really keeping uh, the country together. And I think it's I think it's so important. And like you said, it could take a call, whether it be uh, on the phone or whether it be virtually and to extend those. It just seems like now is the time, and, I, and I'm just hoping that others see it like you do—that uh, this is a great opportunity to hopefully address uh, at the most difficult time I think in in what in American history.
1: I mean, you're absolutely right. It's so it's so interesting that you you make that connection too, because I'll tell you, I was watching the news the other day, and I was dumbfounded at looking at coverage over these fights breaking out on air airplanes. I don't know if other folks saw that, but, you know, to me, you know, of course, in my mind, chair of mental health, I sat there and I thought, this is a mental health issue. I mean, we are not as well adjusted. We have pent up aggression, anxiety, anger, whatever it is. I mean, these are unresolved mental health crises that we are seeing play out oftentimes with physical altercation in these, in you know, literally while flying, you know, from A to B. And that was one of those moments where you kind of had those aha moments to think when we think about what does it mean to have full mental health services? What does it mean that everyone can fight the stigma? We can say it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to seek it. And we will make sure someone's there for you. This is an example where I believe if we had more services, if it were more destigmatized, more people would be seeking help, however it's comfortable for them, right? Whether it's a call, a text, having virtual, you know, therapy, whatever it is. But the more we destigmatize it to normalize seeking that kind of help, I absolutely agree. You know, we would hope that we see kind of a, a national cool down, right? We talk about de-escalating. We need a national de-escalation
0: absolutely and you know with kids and how their schooling has been impacted and now you see these numbers rising again with different variants of covid and who even knows you know several months from now what things are going to look like we were on a really great path and you know now <laughs> now it's uncertain so you know there's there's things like reentry syndrome that people are even dealing with that you know they people who we, we what we saw was that people who were generally stable were having a little bit of trouble people who typically were a bit uh, anxious or had, you know, underlying, uh, underlying mental health issues became elevated. And the people who typically, it was like, everybody took it up a notch, you know what I mean? So already an industry and, and a profession that was strained just became that much more saturated. So, um, we, we really hope that, you know, there is, um, obviously your eyes and ears are open, but we really hope that, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, people who have the power to make these changes are able to kind of see the light and see how really uh, life-changing this can be for folks.
2: And Senator, if there's anything we can do to be helpful, we're willing to come out there, uh, whether it be connecting states, whether it be pushing particular ideas about what could be helpful, feel free free to reach out. We're here to be supportive as a native New Yorker myself.
1: Yes. Um, No, I mean, I appreciate that. You know, I always say I think the strongest voices and the loudest voices should be those out in the community. So, you know, I think it's always important, and this is what I try to do in my own conference in the Senate, is really bringing these stories to life for people, right? I'm sure we're talking bill numbers, we're talking professions, but especially for people in this field, what we're talking about are human beings, We're talking about a mother's ability to function every day while she potentially keeps her child on school, you know, Zoom school and keeps her job together and keeps herself together. Like we're talking about her ability to not be so depressed that she can't go to the grocery store, you know, to get groceries. We're talking about, you know, a 10 year old who is so mentally taxed and emotionally taxed that she can't focus in school. You can get her all the tutors you want, right? You can get her the Chromebook, you can get her all of the supplies, but if she is not in a place where she can learn, um, she continues to suffer and fall behind. And those uh, unfortunately are the stories that we hear. And as you said, Erin, wherever you were before, it's heightened. So then you think about the kids living in poverty who didn't have a steady meal, who had violence in their communities. Now we're seeing record gun violence. Well, that is partially mental health. I mean, obviously it's poverty and a lot of the things that have happened out of COVID-19, but also we've got to take care of um, our young people. And, you know, hearing those stories, we start to see again how mental health affects everything the same way you can't walk with a broken leg. Well, you might not be able to see, right. That internal, um, pain right or uh, the internal injury but it is just as debilitating so um so i will yes i will continue to to be that voice and and i would encourage all of you you know if there's everyone has their kind of pet project or their personal passion if there's there's one of these bills that hits you whether it's about crisis for mental health you know we have daniel's law to completely change the framework um here in new york and hopefully set the tone for other states around who who actually shows up as first responders for these mental health calls. Um, And that will be huge shift. And guess what? It's gonna call for a whole lot more mental health providers. So we're gonna have to work hand in hand to get more people um, into this industry
0: as well. Absolutely, and I think you're exactly right. That destigmatizing mental health is probably the first step to getting uh, more folks to pursue a career in this field, so. Thank you very much for your time. This has been an an incredible conversation. We really appreciate all the work that you do around the policy and the advocacy. And uh, I'm sure that our listeners greatly appreciated uh, this interview today. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you so much to the listeners of The Barrier Breakdown for this week's episode. We hope that you all take care and stay safe and well. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. Listeners can find all of our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. For more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events, check out our website at cbicenterforeducation.com, our Facebook pages, Cognitive Behavior Institute and CBI Center for Education, as well as our Instagram at Cognitive Behavior Institute and our Twitter at CBI underscore Pittsburgh. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We hope you'll
2: tune in for another guest next week.